Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is Abe Partridge in Mobile, Alabama, and this is a song I wrote called The Black Flag T-Shirt Lament. I hope you like it. silence of the night as the false lease of a last come to seek their thrills in the Holy Ghost roams these dripping streets alone but he can't find a single heart to steal it's just another smiling face in a phony handshake as them posers spill the art district streets so i just smile back ashamed of the whole act that's the price i pay for being part of the scene From a designer in New York That in an act of rebellion You bought off Amazon And you covered your jacket With reproduction band patches That you never listened to Even when you were young But I could love enough For the both of us but it's getting harder for me to count the cost Because with every dirty dollar Man, I'm beginning to wonder If there's any purity left in my great heart his fiddle but Rome rotted from the middle and folks have a way of weaving myths into tales we know our story all so well it was heroin and shotgun shells to my generations are died with Chris Cornell maybe it's the influences of my youth that gave me this jagged truth Maybe it's my punk rock ideals But this old hippie jam It's a beach town trinket scam And like Dylan, man, I'm stuck in Mobile Now 
I've given up on crying So it may appear that I ain't trying It's just hard to be an artist in this town So I'll cursed here to try I'll close my eyes and I'll sing to God Cause I knew you wouldn't listen Anyhow Oh yes I knew You wouldn't listen Anyhow sir all right thank you for sharing man. yeah man well Abe, thank you so much for uh hosting me today man yeah having me over thanks for coming over yeah so Abe, originally born and raised here in mobile mm-hmm yep what uh what did that look like growing up what part of mobile were you from well my uh my mother and father uh were together till i was seven years old and we were i was raised up out in sims and then uh okay my mother and father split up, and then my mother moved into city, and then my father stayed out in Sims, and so, and then we, I, I went to, I went to a different school just about every year. I'm, I'm pretty sure going, if I went back and actually looked, I'm pretty sure every single year I was in a different school, because my, my, we we constantly mm -hmm. drifted around. Uh, I spent a little time over in Mississippi uh, when I was young, younger. I think second or third grade or something like that. And we went up to Mississippi for a little while, and then uh, then when I finally finished high school at Davidson High School here in town. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just like moving around different schools and all that as you were growing up. What about like friends? Yeah, it's easy for me to make friends. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was always the new guy for a lot. Yeah, all through my all through my young younger, you know, youth until I got to high school, I was always the new kid. You know. So what were you into coming up? It wasn't music, right? Uh well, I mean, I was I was just into you know I played a lot of ball. You know, I played a lot of football and baseball and basketball. And I played. Uh, all three sports in school and um, uh, about 12 years old you know I uh, uh, started like like actually listening and, and, and loving music but not playing or nothing you know yeah. mostly just played ball and stuff like all the other kids do around here yeah what was that look like was it uh mom and dad's records or different tastes for both of them or what was it like oh man I'm uh I'll be 40 this year, so um, I was born in 1980, and like everybody that, like almost every kid that was born in, like, you know, the late 70s or the eight, like 1980, 81 or 82, even, like we all listened to music at the same time, and that was, you know, that was like this uh, when when uh, when you know Nevermind was the, yeah, you know, rock and roll. Um, so we all fell for that. Mm -hmm. I was just one of the millions of kids that, that fell for that. Yeah, that Nevermind album, it seemed like it influenced 
just across the board. Man, you know, you know how old are you? I'm 30. Oh, okay, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was a it, bit before. No, me, man, but I was it still was influenced. By yeah, it. right. No, no, no. Not saying that you can't be influenced by it, but, but like I remember coming up and like I remember music, and it was you know it was Michael Jackson. He was the king of pop, you know, mm-hmm. and every, and Michael Jackson was on the Coca Cola commercials, and you know it. He was like it. He was like the star, mm-hmm. and. So my familiarity with what music was was Michael Jackson and a bunch of people that sounded like Michael Jackson on the radio. I mean, just I mean, because I wasn't really interested, right? I was yeah. just a I, I was just a kid, and that, I just like, boy, that sucks. You know, I hated it. And then what I knew about rock and roll was like, you know, Guns and Roses and Poison and just other just absolute shit. You yeah, know, riding like that hair, yeah, hair band shit, right? And then, so so when so when Nevermind came out, and and you man, people have written books on this stuff. But when it came out, like uh, it was it was so it was so um, anti-establishment, and I don't know, it was just something about it, it resonated. I guess it was uh, I I don't know, it just resonated with me as it did with with mm-hmm. with every all the kids in my generation. We all fell for that. And, I got a buddy of mine back home. He's in Columbus, Mississippi, and he said the moment he heard that album, um, it changed the way that he listened to music forever. Oh, it, yeah, it, me too. It, it, he said it's like it broke the chains on. Yeah, well, it because uh, it it just it seemed pure. It seemed so pure, and like uh, even though like looking back, uh, it, you know, if you like even read anything about that record. Uh, they they really didn't even like it because they thought it was too pop, too poppy. But uh, you know, if you grew up just with a, a a vague understanding of what top forty radio was, that was like that was like uh, you know as uh, as 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 anti-establishment as you could get. Uh-huh. You know, and uh, of course there were a lot of things under that that. You know, I mean, there was no internet, dude. So I was, and plus I was, you know, I was 12 years old. You know, I wasn't like seeking out underground music in Sims, Alabama. Right. You know, (laughs) with no internet at 12 years old. So for a kid like me to hear a band like Nirvana was, was, uh, it, it, you know, it's kind of a, it's an unreal kind of thing, you know? Yeah. What about, uh, what else is good? Like after finding Nirvana? Oh, well, then, you know, that led me down this whole path, man. Um, you know, I, I mean, of course, the whole grunge era, you know, I just dove into all that. And so we had this great, um, so I, I just head over hills for for rock and roll after mm-hmm. that. And then, so we just read liner notes, you know. And, and then, you know, like, uh, you read, like, you know, you get the Pearl Jam record, and you read about who they think and the and the credits and the back of the CD cover. You know, and then you go. We had this great record store here in Mobile. It was over by the University of South Alabama. It's called Satori Sound. It's now a coffee shop mm-hmm. you know, and a little venue. They they have a little venue there. I've actually played a show there before, but uh, they had this place called Satori Sound Records, and you could go there, and they had all the underground stuff, like the stuff that blockbuster music or whatever never heard of uh-huh. and so you could go in there and get all these like imported records and so 
like there would be like 12 Nirvana records of just unreleased stuff and live tracks and stuff that that you could that I think may have been illegal. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, but, but we but would go. There. And then so you know I went down that trail for a long time, and then and then you know then I then at Satori they had all this old school punk stuff, and uh, you know I I got like the, into the Cramps and the Germs and Minor Threat and. You know, I started because that was all the guys that that they were influenced by, right? The mm-hmm. grunge era is influenced by that, and so so I just uh, you know I fell in love with just punk rock and, and and grunge, and you know they called it alternative rock back in those days, mm-hmm. and uh, and but yeah, that's really like what turned me on to music, and then so from there, you know, then I'm like. Well, my dad's records were pretty cool, you know. He had like uh, he had he had all the Beatles, you know, and yeah. and uh, and and I, I remember growing up, my dad my dad made a cassette of a White Album. He taped the White Album from his record player and he put it by my crib. And so when I first heard the White Album, when I was like I was probably 16 years old or something, and I was like actually listening to it to enjoy music, and and I was like, wait a minute, this is children's music. And I thought it was like, I thought this was like kids' music, like a Disney thing or uh-huh. something. And my dad's like, no, I put the Blight album on a tape, you know, in your crib when you were because I remember hearing that when I was like two or three years old. Right. Yeah, it's coming back. Now. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen those little piggies in there? You know, it sounds like a kid's song, right? Yeah. I mean, why don't we do it in the road? Maybe not. But, but still, when I was a kid, when you hear, why don't we do it on the road, it sounds yeah. like a kid's song. Yeah. Yeah, let's play out in the road. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so then I was like, man, the Beatles are awesome. So I started listening to the Beatles, and then like my dad had all these Zeppelin records and The Doors, and and I mean, you know, dude, I mean, we could name all the old classic rock bands, but they're all good, yeah. you know. And so, yeah, and so I, I just went down rock and roll for a long time, you know. So what about like after high school was uh, sports anything that you would be trying to pursue, or like what was college? Oh uh, man, what was the I plan? had. Well, so I mean, I was over, I was okay at baseball. Uh, uh, I was, you know, I was better at baseball than I was anything else. And I was, and and I, you know, like every kid, you know, I dreamed of, you know, I'm gonna go play with pros, you know, like hell yeah. But uh, and 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 I spent, dude, I spent many, 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 many hours hitting in a bat cage, pitching, and you know, all that uh, growing up. But uh. When I was about a senior in high school, I realized that I didn't have, I, I didn't have the dedication that was required, because uh, I had made it for so long just on, you know, I got good hand-eye coordination, yeah. and then I finally made it to uh, the point to where you had to actually have more than hand-eye coordination. Yeah. The guys that play after that are they. There's a certain level of dedication that they have, and I didn't have that, and. Uh, it was a crushing thing, really, because, you know, you grow up and you spend your first 17, 18 years of your life doing something. Yeah. And then you're realizing. With the boys. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. you're this ain't, this ain't going to work. So, yeah, I, I kind of gave up on that around being, about around senior in high school, I realized, man, my buddies had some colleges looking at them and, uh, and they wasn't looking at me. So, <laughs> yeah. you know. I, uh, it was about six of us. We grew up playing part ball, you know, starting out four or five years old. Oh, yeah. All the way up to, you know, 13, 14. Then it's time to play for your high school. And I remember seventh grade, I went out for the team, and I was the only one that didn't make it. Oh, no. And uh, the assistant coach was a good friend of my dad. 
What was the problem? Your son didn't have the arm. Uh, like, we got him to crow hop out and left, not that we was going to put him out there, but he couldn't make it to home in two bounces. Get him to work on the arm, get him to come out next year. His bat, everything was fine, just his arm. Yeah. And uh, went out, you know, the next year and made the team, and it was fine. But uh, right there, I, I realized quick that, uh, you know what? And that was the year I picked up playing guitar. <laughs> yeah. I, I put my glove down and picked the guitar up. I was yeah. like, I can enjoy this for life. Yeah. <laughs> but I know baseball is just, hey, 12th grade, it's over. Uh-huh. It's not going anywhere Well, else. for 90% of us it is, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. I, I played ball, uh, speaking about ball, you know, I played ball as, a, as from like five years old all the way up a lot many years on the same team when uh, his dad actually was our coach old jake pv you know he, oh yeah yeah so i we he, i remember uh playing t-ball and coach pitch and all that with uh, him and uh out at municipal park when we were little kids uh, he was always he was always better than everybody else too even as a kid mm-hmm. you know he just had a and his dad was, my God, his dad was like, that's all they did. The boys, all they did. He had a little brother named Luke. They still live here in town. Uh, we had one guy who graduated a few years before I did. Um, only, I guess, person noteworthy of mention, he went on scholarship to play baseball at Alabama. And uh, first season there, he tore his rotator cuff. Oh, man. And he was a catcher. Yeah. And it never was the same. Yeah, it is. That, and that was heartbreaking because, you know, the whole town was excited. Yeah. That one of us finally got out. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's why, you know, that, not not speaking about him specifically, but it, and, and generally that's why you see so many guys now, you know, you go, go out into the bar and you guys talking about their old high school days is that's because that's that was a lot of his glory days. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, things didn't work out so well after that, you know. Yeah. Uh, those sports, man. Yeah. Well, this is the first interview I ever did about sports, so this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what did it look like after high school? The ball was coming yeah. to an end? Yeah, man. So I had this uh, – I had like a religious kind of uh, – I was like uh, – you know, so I told you, I, my mom and my dad split up, mm-hmm. you know, and just kind of – we would we'd go to church, you know, sporadically – and uh, fits, and then not for a while, and and then uh, and, and we went to a lot of different things. You know, that's going to ask like denomination wise. Was it typically Baptist? Uh, most uh, sometimes, ba- most of the time, Baptist. I would say, yeah, but um, Methodist sometimes Methodist, but yeah, we would. Uh, that's you know, we've been to the charismatic. And, I mean, we, we 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 were all over through through my youth, and then when I was uh, eighteen, you know, it came time to figure out what I want to do in my life, and um, you know, at my mindset at that time was I, f- I felt like that was a I guess a noble thing to do, but looking back on it, you know, I was just looking for some kind of stability. Yeah, and uh, so I, I went to the church and starting on this church and this preacher said hey you should go to bible college you know yeah and so i was like all right that sounds like a thing to do you know because i didn't really have anything else that i was really wanting to do 
And so I did. And I went the first one about got kicked out of it. And because uh, I, you know, most people in those colleges come from that church. Mm-hmm. It was an independent fundamental Baptist church is where I ended up at. And, uh, you know, I did, it just, I wasn't. I didn't grow up that way, yeah. so I had a lot Wasn't of problems. Cut off the same cuff or whatever. Yeah, I had a lot of problems with the rules at first, and, but yeah, that's what I did. And finally, I went to four of them in four years. Okay. And so after that, preached. Like I was during, preaching, yeah. I started preaching after all that. During all that, the uh, just the idea of echo chamber. That was oh, one, yeah, that was yeah. one thing that I, I picked up like. Uh, I went to University of Mobile and um, did some work uh, over in New Orleans after that. I used to be in the missions real heavy. And, oh, uh, you was a preacher? No, I was going to do missions. What is a missions? A missionary. A missionary is a preacher, right? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, we'd say that. Yeah. Uh, I, I never would have any interest in like a flock. Um, like I would be interested in doing like a church plant, like creating the church. Oh, Okay. Oh, cool. So that's why you went to the University of Mobile, because it was a Southern Baptist thing. Right? Yeah. And the church that uh, I went to in Kennedy, where I'm from, was Southern Baptist. Okay, So yeah. when it came time, that's where you go. Yeah. And so, like, that was one thing that I noticed, especially, like, graduating, and it kind of goes back to that fundamental thing that you are saying about the college, like, all these people were kind of the same. Yeah, man. Well, I, I will tell you that... You guys at the at the University of Mobile had way more freedom of thought mm-hmm. than than an independent fundamental Baptist ever would. They're called independent fundamental Baptists for a reason, mm-hmm. and that's because they separate themselves from everybody who is not independent fundamental and Baptist. And Southern Baptists were just liberal <laughs> and. Uh, which, which is hard to believe for some right. for, for for you yeah right yeah. right cuz you you're think you probably are on a and and I now I mean you know but most people are under the most generally people look at the Southern Baptist Church as a, mm-hmm. a very conservative denomination and it is yeah but when you're an independent fundamental baptist you see the world in a whole different light mm-hmm. and there and you see a very small remnant of people that that have a grasp on the truth mm-hmm. and you see a whole lot of people that don't and and the southern baptist the southern baptist were 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 um were, were we would we would have considered far too liberal and because y'all you probably had you had like you were a you had freedoms right you could have your hair maybe longer yeah you, you know, you could have a beard, you know. Yeah, yeah. Walk around with a beard. Your your ladies could wear pants or right short. You could wear shorts. You know, um, you could probably you probably went in the movies. Y'all probably listened to all kinds of rock and roll music, uh-huh. or even if it was Christian music, it was influenced by rock and roll or whatever. Yeah. And um, oh yeah, all that would not fly, you know. <laughs> And there was also, and there's also like a very specific and literal interpretation of the scriptures uh-huh. that have to be maintained. And if you err from that, then Heretic. yeah, yeah, be gone, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is another reason why the independent fundamental Baptist is such a small denomination because everybody that errs in even a very minor way, you're out. You're gone. You're no longer part of us. So. 
Yeah, so saying that you were in an echo chamber, I mean, yes, I, I totally understand, but, but, but it was just a much smaller and narrow echo chamber that you get in when you're a part of a church like an independent fundamental Baptist. It's a hyper-separationist yeah. kind of thing. It's really, it's cultish, dude, you know, it's cultish. And for years I tried to, like, say, ah, it's not a cult. But then, you know, after you get out and you look... It's totally it a cult, man. I mean, you, because you're you're encouraged to separate from people who who don't believe the same way that you do. Yeah. So I mean, to me, that's a big that's a big mark. Like now, sitting on this side, if I, if you're ever around people and they, you know, anybody that says you should separate from those folks because they don't believe a certain way. Uh, or separate from anybody for anything, dude. You know, it's just that. It, that's just the. It, that's like a slippery slope, man. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, what we're we're in Appalachian country, and you're married at this time, preaching. I went to school for four years, and then I married my wife on the day after I graduated. Did you meet her there? I met her at one of the Bible colleges that I went to. I went, I met, I went to this one called Crown College of the Bible, and right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. And she came down from Maryland to attend school there, and, uh -huh. I, and I was up from Mobile attending school there, and we fell in love and got. And uh, she, she went to school there for one year, and then she went back to Maryland, and I transferred to another college, and then finished down in Georgia, Northwest Georgia. And uh, bought her down. We got married the day after I graduated. And uh, I went to basically working minimum wage jobs. Just making uh, ends meet, right? Just making ends meet while trying and basically serving as uh, like an understudy, I guess you, like a, just kind of being an understudy from this pretty prominent uh, independent fundamental Baptist preacher up in Northwest Georgia. I spent I spent about three or four years there with him. Okay. Yeah. So like, was it during that time? Because um, you would shift gears like um, to finding a better way to make ends meet for your family and providing. But no, man, I was I was our life was that church. So we we uh, we lived in a little tiny trailer in a little place called Trimble Hollow outside of Calhoun, Georgia. And that the church that we were in, it had it had services uh Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh Wednesday night, Saturday night. Oh wow. And then they that church also ran uh, a camp, mm -hmm. a camp meeting, what they call an old-fashioned Holy Ghost camp meeting thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where people would come from all over mostly around those parts but there would be people come from all over and they we would they'd have camp meetings so be in other words you'd have preaching in the morning you'd go eat preaching in the afternoon you'd eat preaching at the night and you'd be up to like two or three in the morning and then you'd go back and do it again and that we did that one we did that three we did that. We had one-week meetings three times a year with them. And then during all this, we had revivals. We'd have maybe one revival every quarter or so. Mm -hmm. So if you actually pulled out a calendar, you was at church probably half the year. Yeah. 
you know, by the time you, you figured it all out, how many days you wasn't versus how many days you were. And so our whole life was that church, man. And I, I just went there and, 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 and was, you know, helped in whatever way I could. I preached from time to time and, uh, you know, helped serve just free, free labor all the time at the camp and doing, doing so work. Whatever you could do to serve. Yeah. While, while bake, by barely making ends meet, you know, living in a $320 a month trailer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And my wife couldn't work because that was, you know, yeah. women don't work. Women don't work. So, so my, my, my wife basically stayed at the trailer all day, tended to a bunch of, we had a bunch of chickens and we had a garden and then I'd go out and work and then come home with, you know, my eight bucks an hour or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So just after that, what would come next? Well, then I took a church up in, I took a church up in uh, Kentucky. I got called to pastor this church up in Middlesbrough, Kentucky, and uh, I accepted it. That was one. Of, you want one of these? Sure. Yeah, that'd be good. Thank you, man. Whenever I was uh, 25 years old, which was, you know, pretty young, but. Independent Baptist churches are so small, you know, it's not really. Uh, I mean, the the church in general is in general is just so small. Wasn't that? I guess it was that far out of the ordinary. But yeah, I went and took a, took a church in Middlesbrough. What was that like? Uh, well, I only did it for two years, so yeah. it wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't. Uh, I, I've. My first time that I ever preached, we were in uh, Chile, in uh, the capital, in Santiago, and I was told... Oh, man, that's a long ways west. That's cold down there, ain't it? Well, it was winter here, and it was summer there. Oh, okay. So we lucked out. No, actually, that's backwards. It was summer here and winter there, because that was the cool thing about that trip, was we're getting out of the heat for a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And I was told the night before, uh, hey, this church needs somebody to speak. Just gonna see if you wanted to do it. And I had my best friend down there with me. He's like, "You gonna do it?" And I said, "Why not?" So, and that's why I say, like earlier, I could not imagine like having a flock and having a church, and I I could not imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Man, you know, dude, I'm so far removed from that now. It's hard for me to imagine it too. But at that at that time in my life. It's just what it was. Yeah, that's what I wanted. I was, you know, when I got called to pastor that church, I was pretty excited about it. You know, I'd never even been to Middlesbrough, Kentucky. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was a, uh, I don't know. It was, it was, it was, it was bizarre. There was about sixty people or so there on my first Sunday when I went there, and uh, I had a. I had a, my boy was, I guess he would have been maybe one and a half, two. Okay. And my little girl was uh, just born, just a little newborn. And so I, mean, I had a, you know, went up there and I had a Mercury Grand Marquis at that time. A true preacher car, you know. Yeah, man. Like a, like a 
Crown Victoria, but the Mercury one. Mm -hmm. okay. I pulled up in there, and uh, and the church was uh, it. It had started that the church building, not the church that was there, not the people, but the church building was an old snake handler church. And another uh, site. Yeah, actually, Middlesboro, Kentucky has at least I don't know about now because the feller died but when I was living in Middlesboro, Kentucky this would have been 2005 6 and 7 so yeah they had the largest snake handling church in America in Middlesboro, Kentucky and uh, the only way the only reason I even knew that was because I was out going door to door in Middlesboro passing out flyers and pamphlets for the church you know and I met uh, this fellow I can't remember his last name his first name was Jamie yeah I can't remember his last name man. God what was his last name but he had he had he was missing a, one of his fingers from this knuckle on where a snake had bit him and uh, so Anyway, I was like, hey, I'm Abe Partridge. I'm from this Bright Star Baptist Church over here. And he's like, oh, I'm, I pastor this other church. And then he, then he started telling me about snakes and all that. And he pointed to where they kept them. And he said, uh, you know, uh, we have the largest snake handling church in America. And I was like, wow. Yeah. And uh, we talked for half an hour or so. And, uh, and well, you to to go down that little trail for a second. Netflix, there's a special now, and that guy's on it, and he and he's dead. He's dead now. They made it, but after I left there, they came in there, and I bought a film crew, mm -hmm. and they and they didn't record him dying. But I think after they made the show, he got bit in church, and they didn't believe that you're supposed to go to the doctor for nothing. Right. So he got bit, and it killed him. So that guy's dead now, and I was sitting there talking to him back. And this is, and it was the most surreal thing seeing that video, you know, seeing that thing. And they were like, Middlesburg, Kentucky. There's, and I was like, man, this is where I spent a little bit of my time. There. Yeah, I know that guy. <laughs> yes, uh, I don't even know if there's a snake handler church in Lamar County anymore. But when my mom and dad were dating, my dad loves to tell the story that uh, my mom's petrified of snakes. Yeah. And I don't know if he knew, or if either one of them knew, but you know, service started and here comes the snake, and they about to pass it around. And he said, right when that snake came out, he said, I never seen your mama move that fast. <laughs> <laughs> she was getting out of uh, that church yeah. house. Yeah, I don't do that, man. <laughs> that's uh, that's some next level stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, it's unfortunate. I just read. Have you ever read the Salvation on Santa Mountain? That book. No, I haven't. Yeah, you need to read that. Okay. Yeah, there's uh it's it's all it's about a bunch of snake handlers in North Alabama. And actually that fellow Jamie I was telling you about, he's written about in that book too. It's like I didn't I didn't know it, but uh yeah, that, that fellow I just met him on a whim and then I've ended up seeing him over two, the years. Over the years. Yeah, he, his name pops up because he was a very he's he was a very prominent figure in the snake handling churches and uh 
you know, I met him on a whim just by accident one day, didn't realize I was meeting somebody that was so important in that in that that small, tiny subset of Christianity. But yeah, yeah he's a he was the he was a really important figure. I don't know what happened to that church now. I, I really am tempted. After reading that book, Salvation on Sand Mountain, I really want to go up there and and uh, see what happened to it. Because uh, yeah. that book, Salvation on Sand Mountain, man, that was uh, that was a crazy book. It's, this guy wrote the book about, I think it was back in the 90s. He There was a snake-handling preacher up in North Alabama that ended up trying to murder his wife by, by getting her bit with some of the church stakes. And then so... Yeah, it's crazy. This wow. yeah, this reporter starts doing a story on this preacher that quote backslid and then try to murder his wife with a church snake, and then he ends up like getting into these this band of snake handlers, this kind of roving band of snake handlers. They just go up through the mountains and mm-hmm. have, and so and then he starts like believing this stuff, and he actually handles the snakes, and he thinks it's like God wants him to handle the snakes and stuff, and then. And then, you know, he kind of comes to his senses. Mm-hmm. But the whole book is like his journey, like into snake handling and out of it. Oh, it's yeah, crazy. Yeah, dude, it's crazy. It's a, it, it was, it's a very, Will Stewart told me to read that book. There you go. If you read, if you read, if you hear, if you hear, um, on, on Will's last album released through Cornelius Chapel, there was a song on that record called Brush Arbor. And uh, okay. and he wrote it about that song, and I love that song. And I was talking, and I was like, "Dude, what you know? What's this about?" Because I, uh, I I I know what a you know the the brush ar- they call them brush arbor meetings, and they did that, and the Independent Fundamental Baptist did that too. And Will's like, "Well, I, I wrote that song about this book I read called Salvation on mm-hmm. So he's the reason I read it. But uh, there you go. Yeah, it was a, it's a great book. So just after um, pastoring. Um, where would you go from there? Well, I, uh, I mean, so the church, you know, it was like, uh, it was falling apart, really. And, uh, the church was falling apart while I was falling apart because I was removed from the echo chamber that I was in while I was going through college, while I was the understudy at the church in Northwest Georgia. I moved up to Kentucky outside of all those other influences and then it was I was it, I, it was a, a discovery of myself is what was happening and uh, I just decided I, I had actually came to Mobile I was in my mom's house and uh, I was visiting and I woke up one morning and I got up in my bed and I looked at my wife and I said we're going to go back and I'm going to resign and uh, resigning in an independent fundamental Baptist church to resign or to leave or to leave the ministry is it's like spiritual suicide basically you uh-huh. know because it, it was going it was I knew that it was going to lead to the complete uh, removal of, uh, of all that. You know, it was gonna. It, we're gonna pull up a lot of connect. A lot. You know, basically everybody in my life at that time that wasn't my immediate family for for nine years had been independent fundamental Baptist, and so we lost. You know, we lost every friend, every mm-hmm. people that I loved. You know, 
I mean, I genuinely love them. Those are the people that you were doing life with for nine years, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, we went up there. I just quit, man. I just quit. And, I, and uh, but you know, man, I was at my wit's end, dude. It was, I, there was, I was, I was emotionally uh, just, I couldn't. I I didn't. I couldn't feel nothing. hadn't felt anything for a long time. Just despondent, mm-hmm. uninterested, uninterested in anything. Uninterested in the in any kind of church service. I, I was just burnt out, dude. You know. And uh, so we. So anyway, yeah. I just I just left. We moved back here, and I started working for minimum wage again. Mm-hmm. I got a job working minimum wage, but this time I had two children, and I was living in Mobile, where there ain't no three hundred twenty dollar trailers, and so I didn't know what to do, you know. And so I joined the military to to make a living. Mm-hmm. After, I don't know if you want to go into that at all, but I'm just after military, um, that would be when songwriting would come. Well, now songwriting and painting and all that. This started all in Kentucky when I was pastoring in Kentucky. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just didn't do it publicly. Okay. Yeah. What happened was is I was up in I was in Kentucky talking with snake handlers, you know, and <laughs> preaching to my first Sunday, you know, we had sixty. My my second Sunday we had about twenty. I'd 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 split the church my first Sunday. And uh and then, you know, those 20 whittled down to nearly nothing. Mm-hmm. And then there were many Sundays where I pre- Sundays and Wednesdays that I preached to no one but my wife and my two children. And then we built it back up over a period of time to where we had about 60 again. And uh, I won't tell you on a on a tape because I wouldn't want I would I don't harbor any animosity and uh, toward anybody up there and I would but I'll tell you later why the church bro- the church broke up again I broke it up and uh, and we went down to five people or something and so I left and uh, was so dear while this was all happening. Middlesbrough, Kentucky got high-speed internet access. Mm-hmm. And so we got AT&T high-speed internet access in 2007. And I discovered YouTube, right? And uh, I had become obsessed with this guy named Sun House, you know. So so musically, you know, I grew up on this rock and roll and stuff. But then when, you, I, went, when I became an independent fundamental Baptist, all that had to go. Yeah. So... I had to stop listening to rock and roll, and uh, preferably burned or trash, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. I sold mine to a pawn shop, but <laughs> you were supposed to burn them, you know. But I didn't burn mine because that uh, I deemed them too bad. I think I got two hundred dollars or something for my CD collection, you know. Yeah. So I, I took them all down to the pawn shop and sold them, and then uh, I started. Uh, well, then when I, when I was up. When I was going to Bible colleges and stuff, I was up, uh, golly, man, this is a winding tale. But so I, so when I was going to Bible college, I was in this one in Chattanooga, and I went into a pawn shop and bought a banjo. 
on a whim because I saw somebody playing a banjo. I thought, man, that was that was awesome. At that time, you, did you know how to play any instruments? I didn't know how to play anything, nothing. And I bought a banjo when I was 18 years old, and I took it back to the dormitory, and I'd go to class, and I'd come back and play that banjo. And I'd go to class, I'd come back and play the banjo until I learned how to play the banjo. I learned how to play from this book, Earl Scruggs' five-string banjo book. You know, you just read it and do what it says, and you just practice it over and over and over, and you learn all these roles, you know. And so I learned how to play a bluegrass-style five-string banjo. Mm-hmm. And then there's all these bluegrass festivals up there. And so I started going to these bluegrass festivals because, uh, a lot, you know, bluegrass is funny, man, because the Independent Fundamental Baptists, are, they're, they're okay with bluegrass because there's a lot of gospel in it. Yeah. And, and a like lot of their... Old Brother Were Out Yeah. <laughs> old Brother Were Out There kind of thing. Yeah. There are a lot, there's so much gospel in it, man. I mean, even like Bill Monroe and like the Stanley Brothers and, you know, all those old, like uh, Jimmy Martin. And, you know, Jimmy Martin was a was just a raving, drunk asshole. And then, but then he would sing like, you know, farther along and stuff, you know. He'd like pull a real gospel record out. <laughs> yeah. Bill Monroe, too. You know, these guys were like heathens. But they <laughs> but they had, uh, they had gospel records. And so... And in the church, you know, the the kind of music that we played in Independent Fundamental Baptist Church was very uh, bluegrass, old-time, country-style, you know, three-chords kind of stuff. So... The, so anyway, I would go to these band. I'd go to these. Blue, I was going to these bluegrass festivals, and I was picking with all these old men. I just picked with old men out in the parking lots of these things, and that's how I learned to play music. And um, I mean, I would do that. I mean, almost every weekend, I'd be driving to find a place to just to go play to huh? play to play my banjo with with a bunch of old dudes primarily. And then when I went up to school in Knoxville, there was this place called Ciderville music store mm-hmm. and this guy was the guy that owned it was some famous banjo player and uh i used to go down in there and you know they'd have pickings every saturday night so i just go in there and pick with these old guys playing bluegrass music and so um you know my that so 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 then, so I was playing music. I was playing it in church, right, and at bluegrass festivals and stuff. Well, that, and I learned how to play old time banjo with like claw hammer, stuff. And I was doing that some too. And and uh, and then so I got high speed internet access, and I started you know looking, just looking at all these videos that that you could never watch before. Uh-huh. You know, the world before YouTube was a very different world, man, because you'd have to tape stuff off the TV when it on the off chance that the TV actually played something worth taping, you know? And uh, now you can just watch any clip of anything that you've ever imagined existed, you know? It's there, and it's it's amazing. But, you know, in 2007... So, back about 2004, I had bought... I went to a flea market, and I bought this VHS of a... I I was really unfamiliar with blues music. Uh You know, I didn't really... I thought, you know, blues was... I just, like, had scenes from movies I'd seen, like old black guys playing guitars, you know, woke up this morning stuff, right? I always... And then... Uh, but I I saw this this uh, video for uh, for a dollar. It was called Legends of the Country Blues. It had this guy, Sun House, on it. And so I'm watching this... I, I, I took it home and I watched it, and I was mesmerized by it. 
And I watched the thing over and over and over and over because Son House was a Baptist preacher. He started as a Baptist preacher as a kid. And then he ended up leaving the church and becoming a bluesman. Mm-hmm. And um, he's the only he's the only bluesman that is known of that 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 did it that way. There was a lot of guys like Skip James, and uh, there were several others that started off as bluesmen, and then in their later years they became ministers or preachers or something. But, but not that way. Not he yeah, went opposite. He was the opposite, and I and and I became enthralled with that. And his performance was. He would sit down with a guitar and his eyes would roll back in his head and he would just go into this trance and he would just beat out these blues songs. And uh, it was like the devil was chasing him while he's singing them, you know. And then, and, then, then, and then he would stop and he would just mumble. And he would mumble for like nine, nine or ten minutes about stories of uh, st- st- talking about God, talking about the Bible, talking about the devil, talking about the blues. And it would just, it was just like uh, it was like your it was like it it was just like there was it was an otherworldly kind of figure you know and I was obsessed with him yeah that was that same thing like with Robert Johnson you know yeah yeah like I don't think it was to that extent Robert Johnson learned to play from from some Sun House I don't doubt it yeah yeah that's who t- yeah and I think Sun House even like I've read that he even may have started the whole Crossroad thing. Because he was a legend. <laughs> yeah, because because Robert Johnson he learned how to play guitar from Sun House and then he became better than Sun House and then he got the spotlight the Sun House didn't get and uh or or uh, some of the spotlight that he but anyway. <coughs> so two thousand seven rolled along. I'm playing bluegrass music, I'm playing church, you know, in the church, playing banjo, playing I learned how to play a little rhythm guitar. Well then the first thing I do is I'm like, Man, I'm I'm finding some Sun House videos. Uh-huh. You know, I'm finding I'm finding Carter Carter uh, Carter Brothers videos, uh, uh, Stanley Brother videos. I'm finding Carter Family videos and stuff like that. I'm I'm just really interested in this old music, hillbilly music and blues music. Skip James. Well, then I found out, man, all these guys like played this um, thing called the Newport Folk Festival, and they had made videos of this back in the '60s. And so I'm watching these Newport folk videos, and then then I see this young Bob Dylan, you know, singing these songs. I'm like, they're blown away, you know. I had never heard Bob Dylan before, and uh, like I think my dad had a couple of his records, but I never got it. And then I was sitting here looking at it, and it was blows my mind, you know. And so I just I become like I just get obsessed with things, and uh, which is a blessing and a curse. But I got obsessed with, with Bob Dylan for a while, and. And, uh, well, then, you know, if you go down that trail on YouTube, you end up at, like, Towns Van Zant and John Prine and Guy Clark and all these guys. Mm-hmm. And so I'm discovering all this stuff while I'm going through the uh, just absolute, uh, you know, I'm going in the absolute tailspin. You know, my life is just in, my, I'm, I'm emotionally in shambles and spiritually in shambles, looking for something to believe in, you know. And, um, you know, then I and I hear, like... And, 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 and it wasn't Tal- blowing in the wind, was it? Well, oh, absolutely, blowing in the wind. All those all those early The first songs. time I heard that Dylan song, like it, it was like he gave me a new pair of eyes. Yeah. Like, the lyrics and, like, what he was talking about, I, like, I, that might be one of my favorite songs of all Dude, time. It's, it is great. Masters of War... With God on our side, I mean, God, there's so many of them, and uh, 
Yeah, then you know, then town towns Van Zant that 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 what what that's town you know towns Van Zant uh, was what made me it's like okay I'm gonna because all because it, it spoke to me where I was at that time you know I was like when you're when you're like when you feel like you're like when you're feeling like you're waiting around to die and then you hear the song waiting around to die it it helps you man mm-hmm. and uh, I was like damn I gotta I gotta do this and so. Uh, you know, just taking those guys in, just inspired, taking in all that inspired me to try to write my own songs. And I started trying to put whatever it was that was in my, whatever it was I was feeling into into songs. And most of those songs sucked, but uh, but it helped me at that time to 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 release it in that way. And and I started painting. I just started trying. I, I started doing everything I could to get what was, uh, what was disturbing me, on the paper, on, on, into the air, and uh, and it was and it was helping me. And so, I mean, you know, so so you know, I say like that. You know that 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 music. You know, it was it was like it had it was had this salvation kind of effect for me. You know, because mm-hmm. my life was heading in one way. And I, what I found in it uh, helped me turn it around. Then so, yeah, so I was writing songs from that point. I've been writing songs since then, about 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. What about, um, I guess just to go into the art and uh, songwriting and up to the day, is, uh, man, that Alabama Dares piece that you yeah, did? Yeah, yeah. Man, that... It cracked me up, and I guess it, it, that's what you you made me think of when you said things that just disturbed me. It's like everything on that little wheel. <laughs> yeah. I was like, he couldn't, you couldn't have done it any better. Yeah, like well. the Alabama fans would, you know, <laughs> yeah. this is their ten thousandth title or yeah. the education system, yeah. and yeah, yeah, first in football, last in education, buddy, Alabama. <laughs> Rotide, rotide. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and just like getting familiar with your work and seeing that Alabama man and just like some of the the small things that you do, like with the snail on the tongue and yeah, it's like that's that's it. And I, I like I, you don't have to. Um, I don't need an explanation for that. I guess it's just living in Alabama and seeing that and like having stepped out of that echo chamber and back in it now. I was like. That makes a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that particular piece, man. Somebody gave me this the pit the middle of a clock, uh-huh. my old clock hand, and I was like, I'm gonna put this in the middle of a painting and make it a board game, <laughs> a dare, you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I'd, I'd painted a few of those things before. Uh, individually, but I'd never put them together like that. But I had that at my at a big I, put, I had a big art show uh, back in January, mm-hmm. and that's that's where that one, uh, which January now seems like ten years ago. It but, does. Uh, yeah, back in January I had a big show and I, I debuted it there, and then as soon as I got it home, it was it it was sold. Mm-hmm. Some of my some of my uh, some of my best uh, patrons. Uh, 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 Paul and Lorene, uh, Paul Campbell and Lorene, uh, and Lorene uh, Flanders. They she she's the 
head of the libraries over at the University of South Alabama. But they, they've got a lot of my art. And they saw that piece and they were like, we got to have it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so they got it. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, I, I love doing that one. It was, it was fun to demonstrate too. Yeah, that video, that was a lot of fun to watch. And when he was breaking down each piece of it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I ain't going to have a hard time talking to this guy. Well, <laughs> you know, some some people, it, it, it gets them a little upset. And other people, uh, you know, other, uh, some people are decent enough to understand it. But, you know, man, down here, brother, you got to be careful. I mean... You know, I don't, I don't give two shits about ever becoming a big famous artist in Alabama. You know what I mean? But, yeah. Uh, yeah. If you do anything outside of the norm, outside of the norm down here, you know, there's a, you, you've already limited your audience to a very, uh, to a small number of people, because there's not a great deal of, of excitement about uh, stuff like I do, but. Hey man, whatever you know. Yeah, it is I find it is. I find audience for it elsewhere, you know. Yeah, and so just with uh, just with your songwriting, um, what a couple weeks ago or maybe a month ago, you would have been overseas. Oh uh, well, I was gonna be there in July. Yeah. Oh oh what, oh I was over for the there. thing that you played earlier today. Oh that thing, yeah that that was an online thing, you know. Yeah, I've been I do I've been over to Europe now. I've done two tours over there. And I was about to go do my third in, in, in June, the first week of June, of course. That is not going to happen this year, and uh, it breaks my heart. But, you know, we're all in, the right, we're all in it together. So, With, uh, with your tour in, in the U.K., and I, I'm guessing I don't know all the type of venues you've played in, but it would be like a uh, listening hall type thing sometimes? Yeah. Yeah, like uh, I, I play like small, uh, small well, specifically, if, if you're asking about the stuff I did in the UK, I was the opening act for this great songwriter by the name of uh, David Ford, who in my estimation is probably one of the greatest songwriters alive. I mean, I think he's criminally underrecognized, but at least in the United States. In, Eng- in, the, in the England, he's a freaking rock star. So, right. Yeah, so... Uh, and... Uh, a, a, a funny story is on my very first tour to Europe I was in the Netherlands playing a show my last I think it was my last show of the tour and I was opening for another American and the American had this English his name is Jared Dickinson he's awesome you should check him out but uh, there was a piano player with Jared who was an Englishman and Jared was like, hey, man, you want to go have some beers with us, you know, at the pub after the show? I was like, yeah, dude. So so I went there, and there was three of them. Jared, his wife, plays mm-hmm. with him, and, and David, who was his, just, just like, I just thought he was a piano player. And so me and David just end up just hitting it off, man. Yeah. You know, we're just like, just, just having beers, and very interesting, one of the most interesting cats, like, uh, it was like we would, it's, it was like we knew each other in a past life or something. And we, because we just immediately connected. He was like, "Hey, you want to come open in my next run of shows in, in the UK?" And I was like, "Yeah." <laughs> and I was—I didn't even know who he was. I thought he was just a piano player. Yeah. So he got up to go to the bathroom, and I typed up his name, 
and to Google. It's like I was like, oh hell yeah, I want to go on your tour. <laughs> and so uh, we had up tour, dude. I played some kid. <clears throat> I played some big rooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some big like cool rooms, man. We had, uh, you know, I mean, I think a couple of shows there we had busting three fifty or something like that. You know, played some killer halls. You know, music mm-hmm. halls. It was a, it was an amazing tour, man. Let's talk a little bit about the song right in the art. All right, yeah, let's do it. So, uh, at what point, I guess, did you start believing in your songs to where you were open about playing out with them? Well, because you mentioned was, earlier, like those first songs that you wrote, they were they were helpful to you, but you you said yeah. they weren't good. No, no, they wasn't good, man. I mean, really, I don't. You know, I don't. I don't think. I st- in my estimation, and this is no attempt at appearing to be humble, but I still got a long way to go, you know, to 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 make the kind of. I'm always whittling at stuff. But what happened was, is I went to the desert in 2013 with Air Force, and I left my wife. She was couple months pregnant you know and then I went over there and just that was another dark dark time you know it was just told this I mean I landed it I landed over there man they rolled down that back they they let down that back of that plane dude and I started to to walk off that thing and the wind was blowing it it felt as hard as a damn hurricane and it felt the wind was so hot it felt like a dry hot somebody pouring a hot dryer on your face you know mm-hmm. with sand and everything coming all in my eyes and I was like man I want to go home and then uh, and then it's like well yeah you ain't going home and matter of fact the quickest way the quickest way for you to return because I was like I don't even care I'm ready to go home but then it's like well the quickest way for you to go home is to shut up, put do your job. head down, do your job, and pray that everything goes all right, and then you go home. Because you can't quit. You know, there ain't no quitting. And so, you know, it was just absolutely miserable. And then working 12-hour shifts, six days a week, you know, and then going back, uh, I'd, pl- I'd, I'd play... We had a basketball court. I'd play basketball for a couple hours. I'd go to sleep, and that was my life. Mm-hmm. That was my life for six months. Well, you know, about three or four months into it, man, we're just sitting out. You know, we most of our time on shift was just sitting in a tent. We're in a tent, sweltering heat, right? Looking out in a red, in a red, a red horizon, and uh, you know, you I'm just like, damn, I've not done anything with my life you know and if I like the only thing I ever did with my life uh, back, back then I was I would have been uh, 30 um, I was 33 30 I'd have been, uh, yeah I'd have been 33 years old 2013 and uh, you know all I'd ever done with my life was bring negativity in the world through the kind of preaching that I did and violence in the world through, through my service with the military what did it do to like your morality? Well, that's it. Uh, I, 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 it was compromised, you know. 
was there is there's another another thing is you realize you know I work on airplanes right mm-hmm. I don't pull bull I don't pull triggers and watch bullets enter people's brains and kill them I don't do that and uh, but then when you go to the war when we went in the desert and you're seeing you know you're seeing your planes being loaded with the instruments of war and death and you see you see planes come back with with injured people on them and caskets and uh, you're like man and empty shells right they fired them bombs uh, oh yeah yeah they and you were, had a wrench on it yeah exactly yeah exactly in a nutshell that's that's it and so <sighs> through a long through a, I went through a long period there where I realized that there's only bad guys in the world that it, it's not like you know my grandfather was a World War II guy and he fought under Patton and there was a guy in Germany that was taking people and by, by, by millions and putting them in ovens. It's pretty justified to go over there and kick that dude's ass. You know, that dude, that dude should be killed and obliterated, right? Mm-hmm. And like Japan, like they came over and they, you know, they, they, they kamikazed a whole bunch of ships and killed hundreds of men for no reason. Mm-hmm. Those people should be brought to justice, right? I believe in violence. If if you have to use it to defend yourself, mm-hmm. or or even in the aid, even in aid of others, right? <coughs> like 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 what Nazi Germany was doing. Those people had to be stopped. They were gonna they were they were killing people by the millions. For That's, the heritage. What's that? For the heritage. Yeah, it's just not right. And so, but then you know, so so when I joined the military, I had this idea of like the military. That's that's the kind of military I thought of because that was you know, it's just kind of what you thought, and then then you get up and you realize it's not like that. It's like there, it it's just it's just meddling in all these affairs for oil and money and and influence and regions over international politics, and it's just dirty. And defending anyone's freedom, I was not. You know what I'm saying? Defending my life or my family's life, that's certainly not what I was doing. And so you, you realize what that when you're over there. And then so I, I fell out of love with that and totally went into another dark place in my mind. And I had been writing songs at this time. So this was 2013. So I'd been writing songs for five or six years. And so I said, you know, when I get home, if God will just let me get home, then I'm gonna I'm gonna start, you know, trying to bring something of beauty in the world. I wasn't a hundred percent I wasn't even sure that my songs were any good. And it took it still took me I didn't actually play my first song until two thousand fifteen. But when I first came home I had determined that I was gonna try to do something to, to bring something beauty of the world in the world because uh, I wanted I started you when you're around death you start thinking about your own death, you know? Okay. And you're like, if I die, like, what? What did I do? I didn't do shit. You know, I didn't do nothing. Mm-hmm. I was a failed preacher and a, and a freaking military flunky. 
you know, who died another, who, who, if I would have died, would have died in another meaningless war, you know. And uh, so I was, so that says, you know, when I, since I've been home, I came home in 2014. My little boy Wyatt was born. And uh, since that time, I've had one mission, man, and that's just, you know, do the best I can do to bring some beauty in the world. And honestly, like, everything before before I came home is all meaningless to me, man. I don't, that, like, none of that stuff even matters. I don't, I mean, the only thing that, that, that was good, I had so much regret for many years, but the only good thing that came out of all that was it just gave me a platform and it gave me a certain, uh, it gave me certain experiences uh, from which to create art, you know. Uh -huh. So, so I'm kind of thankful that I that I have had such a unusual experience. Now, uh, I wouldn't recommend anybody do it, though, you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it helped me give me a platform. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And hey man, I guess I'll ask you this and. Yeah, we'll walk it on out the door. But yeah, um, with the media that you use with your art, um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. So I, yeah, paint. I started painting, you know, at first just on wood or canvases or paper. Or I started doing everything I could, just making stuff, right? Just mm -hmm. drawing stuff that. And then uh, I came home, and when I came, when I moved back to Mobile, and. 2007 I was me and my mom was down in uh, Gulf Shores and at an art exhibit I saw a painting that I th I believe to have been on tar I had worked with tar for a little while when I was in college I'd worked roofing houses and I was like man that is a cool looking paint because it has a texture to it you know mm -hmm. it has a certain texture I was like it looks like tar and so I went home and that day I went to Home Depot and bought a bucket of tar and uh, got some wood and uh, I mean I got my first painting in the house in there but I made my first painting and then you know everybody thought I was crazy because I mean I just quit the church you know and uh, quit preaching after nine years uh, was pretty despondent uh, didn't you know, wasn't connecting to a whole lot, and here I am, you know, in the garage painting uh, these bizarre things, and I painted a big Judas Iscariot, you know, hanging on a tree, and that, you know, that, my family didn't really think that was all that great, and, uh, which I totally understand, you know, mm -hmm. looking back on it, but, uh, and then, I was painting like this. I've been so I've been painting like this on and off for a year. I mean, I made probably fifty or sixty paintings, and then, then I started playing music. Two thousand fifteen, I had my first gig. Mm -hmm. my, it changed my life. I started playing shows, playing shows, playing shows. Was that the contest? Yeah, it was a contest. Yeah, and then in two thousand sixteen, a, a, a record label was like, "Hey, you want to put out just you know your your record with us?" I say. Absolutely. So I put out this record label. They hired a publicist and a manager from me. And my publicist was Michelle Roche from Athens, Georgia. My manager was Jeff Wooding from Seattle. And he, he came to my house 
and they they were talking about how we we're gonna roll out my record and I had one painting that my wife would allow me to hang in the house all the rest of them were hid and it said welcome it was by our front door and as as they were walking out they said who did this this painting here and I said I did that and they were like oh you paint and I was like yeah nobody would ever like it but, and they were like oh no 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 you're gonna have an art show and so I had an art show in uh, February 2018 I had my first art show and um, man since then you know I've had probably in the neighborhood of like 20 shows I guess and mm-hmm. that would be two years and a couple months now uh, the Alabama Contemporary Art Museum has had my work. Um, uh, my work's been uh, on a movie, a Stephen King movie, uh, Doctor Sleep. Yes, yeah, brand new film, latest one that come out by him. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a guy, one of the bad guys. When he dies, he's got a shirt with my art on it. He dies. He's laying down. He's bleeding out. He's bleeding out of his head. He That's got, cool, man. Yeah, he's got his shirt says A. Partridge has my art on. It. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, I sell. I uh, uh, I do. A, I sell a lot of art, man. I got a little art. Uh, started an art subscription service now. I got like fifty-two members, I think. And uh, I send prints out every month uh, to my to my subscribers. And uh, I mean, you know, before this whole virus thing happened, I had a lot of art shows booked, mm-hmm. man. A lot of them booked, but. Yeah. Is what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. Sucks. Hopefully it'll, yeah. Well, one of these days, I don't know if it's six months or five years, but one of these days it's going to be back, and I'm going to be back to doing it again. So yeah, I'll just be a little bit older. I have a lot more <laughs> art, though. <laughs> there you go. Well, Abe, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to sit down with Oh, me. yeah, buddy. Thanks for have coming a conversation. by. Yeah. Uh, last thing is just uh, plugs. Uh, what are ways for people to find your art and music? Oh, everything's on apartridge.com. Okay. I'm also really active on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, you can find me there. I put a lot of my uh, I put a lot of my art there. People sometimes write me ask me how they can buy originals. It's best if you just watch my Facebook and Instagram feeds. Uh, cuz I put them on there, but apartridge.com's got everything there. Great. Yeah. Well, man, thank you so much. All right, thank you, buddy. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.